resides in Miller's Court and works at the lodging house in Dorset Street also made the following statement to a representative of the Central News. I knew Mary Jane Kelly very well as we were near neighbours. The last time I saw her was on Thursday night about 8 o'clock when I left her in a room with Joe Barney, the man who had been living with her. About the last thing she said to me was, whatever you do, don't you do wrong and turn out as I am. She'd often spoken to me in this way and warned me against going on the streets as she had done. She told me too, she was hardly sick of the life she was leading. She had talked to me about her friends several times and on one occasion told me she had a female relation in London who was on the stage. Joseph Barnett. Joseph Barnett, labourer, deposed. I identify the body of the deceased as that of a young woman with whom I had lived for eight months. I separated from her on the 30th of the last month. I left her because she bought a prostitute to live in our room. I saw deceased last between half past seven and a quarter to eight Thursday night. We were on friendly terms. Before leaving, I said I had no money. Deceased was sober. Deceased told me her father's name was John Kelly, gaffer of an ironworks in Carnarvonshire. She was born in Limerick and was married in Wales to a man named Davies, killed in a colliery explosion. After leading an immoral life in Cardiff, deceased came to a house in the West End of London. A gentleman induced her to go to France. She returned and lived at Ratcliffe Highway when in Pennington Street. I first met her in Commercial Street and arranged to live with her. At deceased's request, I read to her the newspaper's reports of the previous Whitechapel murders. I did not hear her express fear of any person. Thomas Boyer And it was at half past ten in the morning that a man named Boyer, on entering a room in a poor tenement at the end of court, made the horrifying discovery. Thomas Boyer, 27 Dorset Street, Spitalfield, stated that he was a servant of Mr McCarthy and served in his chandler's shop. At a quarter to eleven on Friday morning, he was ordered by his employer to go to Mary Jane's room number 13 to get the rent, which was in 
arrears. He knocked at the door, but received no answer. He knocked again, and as there was still no reply, went around the corner of the house where there was a broken window. He put his hand through the aperture, pulled the curtain aside, looked in, and saw two lumps of flesh lying on a table close by the bed. The second time he looked, he saw a body on the bed and blood on the floor. Very quietly, the witness then went back to his employer and told him what he had seen. They immediately went to the police station, but on the way, Mr. McCarthy looked in at the window of number 13. The witness had often seen Mary Kelly. He saw the woman drunk only once. Mary Ann Cox. Mary Ann Cox deposed. I live at five minutes court opposite deceased. About midnight on Thursday, I saw deceased in Dorset Street. She was very much the worse for drinks. I saw her go up to the court with a short, stout man, shabbily dressed, and carried a pot of ale and wore a black coat and hat, had a clean shaven chin, shady, sandy whiskers, and moustache. Deceased wished me good night and went in a room. I heard her sing a song, Violet, a blood from a mother's grave. I afterwards went out of my room, coming back at one o'clock. She was still singing. I again went out. Coming back, I saw that the light in the deceased room had been put cut. All was silent. I heard footsteps in the court about six o'clock. I did not sleep after going to bed. If there had been a cry of murder during the night, I must have heard it. Elizabeth Foster Elizabeth Foster, who lives in a lodging house in Dorset Street, has made the following statement to a press association reporter. I've known Mary Jane Kelly for the last 18 months and we were always good friends. She used to tell me she came from Limerick. She was a nice woman as one could find and although an unfortunate, I don't think she went out on the streets until she lived with Barnet. On Wednesday night I was in a lodging with her and the next evening I met her in the Ten Bells public house near Spitalfields Church. We were drinking together and she went out about five minutes past seven o'clock and I never saw her after that. Maria Harvey Maria Harvey, a laundress, said I've slept with the deceased on many occasions and I never heard her express fear anyone. Inspector Beck H Division said, I accompanied Dr. Phillips to the house and I did not know that deceased was known to the police. George Hutchinson. One result of this wanton harmony has been the publication of the description of a man who is said to have accompanied Kelly into Miller's Court between 2 and 3 a.m. on the day of the murder. Absolute reliance was not placed in the story, but Hutchinson, the man who tells it, has accompanied detectives in their search for the dark complexioned, middle aged, foreign looking, bushy eyebrowed gentleman with the dark moustache turned up at the ends, who wore the soft felt hat and a long dark coat trimmed with astrakhan and a black necktie with a horseshoe pin and the button boots and displayed a massive gold watch chain with large seal and a red stone attached. 
The authorities anticipate that this approved description having been given, the culprit will take pains to change his personal appearance. But it is to be remembered that the description itself is totally at variance with that of the stout fair man with blotchy face and carroty moustache who, according to testimony, taken upon oath, was seen to go with Kelly into a room on the morning of her death. Mr. Lewis. On Friday morning, it is stated the little boy was sent back into the house and the report goes that he was sent out subsequently on an errand by the man who was in the house with his mother. Confirmation of this statement, if it is true, difficult to obtain, and it remains in doubt whether anyone really saw the unfortunate woman on the morning of the horrible discovery, although a tailor named Lewis says he saw Kelly come out about eight o'clock and go back. Mrs. McCarthy She next resided with Mrs. McCarthy, Pennington Street, which place she left about 18 months ago. For her last residence in Dorset Square, Mrs. McCarthy believes that Kelly, when she left her, went to live with a man in the building trade whom Mrs. McCarthy believes would have married her. Some short time ago, she was aroused about two o'clock one morning by Mrs. Kelly, who came with a strange man and asked Mrs. McCarthy to give her a bed which she did, receiving two shillings in payment. Since then, Mrs. McCarthy has never seen her. Caroline Maxwell Caroline Maxwell, wife of a lodging house deputy in Dorset Street, was next sworn. The coroner cautioned her to be careful as her evidence differed from other statements made. Mrs. Maxwell then deposed... The deceased at the corner of Lewis Court shortly after 8 o'clock on Friday morning. Deceased told me she felt ill and had vomited. I went with my husband's breakfast. On my return, I saw deceased speaking with man outside the Britannia public house. I can't give a particular description of the man. He wore dark clothes and a sort of plaid coat. Deceased wore a dark shirt with velvet body and shawl. No hat. The man was short and stout. Mrs. Prater. Mrs. Prater, who occupies a room in 26 Dorset Street above that of the deceased, stated tonight that she had a chat with Kelly yesterday morning. Kelly, who was doing some crochet work at the time, said, I hope it will be a fine day tomorrow as I want to go to the Lord Mayor's show. She was a very pleasant girl added Mrs. Prater, and seemed to be on good terms with everybody. She dressed poorly as she was, of course, badly off. Julia Venturni. Julia Venturni, number one room, Miller Court, stated that she had known Mrs. Kelly for some time. She told the witness that she was very fond of another man besides the one she lived with. He used to come to see her and give her money. The witness heard no noises on Thursday night.
You have been listening to Gallantry, a community-funded local radio station. I'm Adam Ardvark. Max couldn't be around at the end of the show. He often needs to lie down in a darkened room and sort of, well, convalesce. If you enjoyed today's show and want to know more or simply express a simple and not very cogent opinion, then email us at welcometogallantry at gmail.com. You can tell us what you think, although we might already know what you think. Or failing that, if you genuinely have no idea, we can helpfully provide some new ideas that you can call your very own. Ideas that you can share with your friends and family and become a much more interesting and likable person, if only to yourself. This has been a Gallatry Entertainment broadcast recorded in a haunted pub in Gallatry. No, honestly, voices appeared on the recordings that we later had to edit out. I think we got them all, but who's to know for sure? Anyway, Gallatry is performed by Max Black, written and recorded by Max Black and Adam Ardvark. is copyright Gallatry Productions 2016. Thanks for listening. But remember, on your next journey home, Gallatry may be just around the corner. <laughs>